Hello and welcome back to Cloisterbell, a weekly Doctor Who podcast hosted by Liam and Rob. Hello and welcome to the Cloisterbell Minnesota. It's like the normal one, but shorter. I'm Liam. And I'm Rob again. And uh, in this uh, week's Minnesota, we'll be talking about the absolute sterling classic that is Fear Her. Ooh. <laughs> so, yeah, another Minnesota. Are they shorter than the normal episodes? Marginally. <laughs> today, today we'll try and keep it short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you think, like, 15 minutes? Is that we'll, too optimistic? We'll, we'll see. I think last we'll, I think last week's was only ten minutes shorter than, than the main <laughs> one. But you know, it's yeah. it's still shorter. So yeah, hmm. so it's all good. <laughs> uh, I was the one who suggested we uh, we review Fear Her, and for the love of God, I really regret it. Why, Liam? Why? <laughs> I thought it'd be fun. But then I kept on putting it off because uh, I think <laughs> as, I think as soon as we suggested it, you pretty much watched it straight away the following morning, and then I, I kept on putting it off of going. Oh, watch Fear Her. No, there's something else I need to do. Uh, I'll do that instead. Or I wonder what it'd be like if I seriously maim myself. Then after I did that, <laughs> then I decided, well, I can't put it off any longer. I'll I'll finally watch it. <laughs> what was your memory of watching it? way back when well the thing is because uh, this was originally broadcast back in 2006 and I missed it when it first went out uh, and I think it was about a year later I happened to catch it purely by chance uh, on a repeat and by that time it already had a, a really poor reputation uh, and I happened to catch it right from the very beginning and I, I remember, remember sort of watching it and going oh. I mean it's not fantastic but it's not it's not this absolutely appalling episode that everyone seems to think it is and then I think it was sort of 20 minutes into it and I went oh yeah this is get oh oh god this is awful um so then I quickly established that yeah I think it deserves its poor reputation uh obviously we'll go into it a bit more detail um but watching it again it's it's actually a lot worse than that I remembered it. Yes, I had the same. It had a, had the same effect on me. Mm. I thought it'll have a lot of redeeming qualities to it, but no. And there was <laughs> there was always a worry when it was first broadcast. Like, what's the state of the show going to be in of the in the future? Mm-hmm. Because even though I had a Doctorless episode, Love and Monsters, mm-hmm. that same season. Um, it was still an alright all right story and then we get to this and it just wasn't on par with the rest. No, it, Somehow. it wasn't. And, um, I mean, it, for, for one thing, it's written by uh, Matthew Graham who yeah. is actually a very well-established writer. He's written, I think he's been writing since the 90s. He's written, he's written for Biker Grove. Uh, he's written for, written for EastEnders. He's written for Spooks. Um, and for Doctor but si- since 2006, has he been hired? For, for Doctor Who? For anything? <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yes, he has. In fact, because uh, he's written for Life on Mars. Uh, he's written for Ashes to Ashes. You know, those are good Those are good uh, series and very good episodes. And he has written for Doctor Who again. 
Uh, he wrote uh, The Rebel Flesh and the Almost People. That's something I haven't actually rewatched much since it came out. No, I mean, I think I think that's a, a decent story. It's not one that sort of uh, I would leap to declare as a favourite, but I think it's a decent story and um, a huge improvement on this. So before we dive into the story of Fear Her, mm-hmm. uh, there's something I want to mention. Um, back when it was broadcast, um, well, when Series 2 was on the air, there was a series of prequels called TARDIS Odes. And were you familiar with them at the time, Liam? Yes, I was. In fact, I'd completely forgotten about them and, until you happened to mention it uh, for, uh, for this uh, for minisode. Um, but yeah, I was aware of them at the time. Yeah, and they are essentially just short scenes that accompany every episode of Series 2 of the revived series. Mm. Um, short scenes set before each episode, usually. And you could watch them online, like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you still had like a 56k modem, which um, <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be able to download anything with that. It would take like 40 minutes. Um, but the worst part is, um, especially when you consider how bad the Tardisodes were, possibly, um, if you wanted to watch them on your phone, assuming you were lucky enough to have a video phone at the time, mm-hmm. and this is the time before YouTubes and smartphones were even out, you could subscribe and pay to downlo- download them on your phone. Good grief. I thought they were free. <laughs> I never knew there was a subscription for it. <laughs> I mean, well, that's just if you want to watch it on your phone. You can watch it for free on the online. Oh, imagine if you paid. Listeners, uh, if any of you actually paid for the subscription, <laughs> please get in contact with us and let, let us know if you actually thought it was money worth spent or you deeply regret it. <laughs> um, well, I did have a video phone at the time. Um, it was the size of a brick. I think it was one of the cheap entry-level video phones in the dawn of 3G. Mm-hmm. And the quality of the video calls was horrific <laughs> I think the technology just wasn't ready um, I do remember paying a few quid for video clips on my phone at the time like um, Monty Python clips and things like that um, so it's pretty crazy that we were prepared to pay for content but you say we in that, in that kind of way well <laughs> more you uh, but then I, I speak didn't... for yourself Rob <laughs> I mean, I didn't have a video phone at the time. I had uh, I had one which had the the wonderful features of being just able to text. God, it's it's amazing to think that back in two thousand six, smartphones were maybe just becoming a thing. Yeah, YouTube wasn't even a thing till the following year. Blimey. Yeah. So um. Because the only TARDIS episode, in fact, because I think it's the only one I watched. I think it was the one for school reunion. I know what I remember from that. I think it's Mickey on his computer and he's making a telephone call. Uh, ah, right, okay. Which I thought was all right, but I was like, oh, I don't, I don't get why they're making them. But thankfully, you reminded me uh, of them f- for this, and you sent me the link uh, for the TARDIS episode for Fear Her, and I'm so pleased you did because it is hysterical. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. It's so, uh, it's so um, naff and uh, over the top. Yeah. If you do want to give it a watch, I'll post the link on the website. I'm talking to the listeners, Liam, not you. All right, okay, yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, if you head over to cloisterbell.co.uk and click the page for Fear Her and scroll down and I'll try and embed the video there or post a link. 
but I think we should also play it in the podcast. Yes, yes, please do. This is Tardisode 11 by Gareth Roberts. An ordinary London street. Or is it? Crime crackers. Can you help us? Dale Hicks. Jane McKillen. Where are they? Ran away from the big city. Joined a gang. The police don't seem to know. But you are crime crackers' eyes and ears. Can you help crime crackers? Don't want to talk to the cops? Then call now on this number. We're waiting for your call. You can make a difference. Crime crackers. Cracking down on crime. So, Fantastic. money well spent, let us know. <laughs> and incidentally, because um, the telephone number he mentions appears on the screen, it's, it's a 19-digit telephone number, replacing the 999. That joke predates <coughs> on an IT crowd. I don't know what you're talking about. Have you not seen IT crowd? No. I've seen it. Oh, I know of it, but no. Do you know that... Oh, okay. Well, you know, there's an episode where they replace the uh, the nine 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 number with o one one eight nine 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 eight eight one nine 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 one nine seven two five three. Have you not watched uh, it? No. <laughs> it's great. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, maybe I'll give it a watch. Um, while I'm keying in this nineteen-digit number. I'll pass you over to Liam. He can keep you busy for the moment. Hold on, Liam. I'll key in this number. Is this going to cost me loads of money? Well, there's only one way to find out, and yes, it probably will. Okay. Incidentally, folks, he's he's typing in the one from the Tardisode and not the one from IT Crowd, which I beautifully sang just a few moments ago. How long have you had that number in your memory? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> If you see the episode, you'll know how, how you're able to remember it. <laughs> There's a jingle. Do you remember the number from um, League of Gentlemen? 444244. <laughs> <laughs> that number actually came up on... What's the other show that they do? Inside number nine? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the, the, the number actually cropped up in one of the episodes there as well. Oh, okay. I was like, it's it's the number four 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 two four four. Nobody knew what I was talking about. <laughs> that that wasn't awkward at all. <laughs> okay, I think I've done these nineteen digits. Right. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna give it a call. Oh, okay. Incorrect number. Please check the number and redial. You have dialed an incorrect number. Please check the number. It's possible I got a digit wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of them. I mean, in all fairness, I'd be surprised if it got you through to anybody. <laughs> I remember there was a time where the doctor's number came on screen for something or other. Right. The TARDIS number came on, um, and apparently quite a few people rang that. And did anything happen? No. I was one of the people. <laughs> oh, right, okay. But no. <laughs> didn't work. Oh, right. You didn't get through to him. Oh. Right, anyway, should we get cracking with uh, Fear Her? Yeah, so um, the next time trailer for Fear Her was enough to put me off. Right, okay. 
a little bit. I was a bit disappointed. Um, but you didn't get to go through that, did you? <laughs> no, no anticipation. No. No, or lack of. Um. So what's it all about? Should we read the blurb? Yeah. So, in London 2012, the 10th Doctor and Rose Tyler set off to see the Olympics, only to find terror in the most ordinary place. That was a very brief episode description. What, is that it? <laughs> On the TARDIS wikia. Um, yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Doesn't spoil much. <laughs> and there's much to spoil. Um... <laughs> Basically what it is is that so they're in a just a, a normal uh, estate and children have been going missing over a very short period of time. And what it turns out is, is that there's this girl called Chloe who's been uh, drawing pictures and who she draws, um, basically they get trapped in, in the drawing. And she's also drawn a, a picture of her uh, father who passed away but was, who was very abusive. That comes into play a little bit later on. So the the Doctor and Rose try and work out what's going on and they work out what's going on. And what it is is that Chloe has been... Um, I don't know how to describe How would you describe it? She's obviously feeling quite closed off. She's, she's not able to communicate with her mother mm-hmm. about the loss of her father. Mm-hmm. So she's dealing with that in a very ordinary way. She's using the drone as maybe an outlet for that. Mm-hmm. But what it is is that there's this sort of this this small alien sort of insect, which has tremendous powers and has become separated uh, from from its family, and their family is huge. It consists of four billion. So because Chloe's feeling very alone, and this alien insect type thing is feeling very alone, the reason why it's kidnapping all these children is to, you know, try to make friends. Um, anyway, to cut a long story short, um, they find a way to allow this insect to get back to its its race. They find its small spacecraft thing and get that setting off. And that's linked in with the Olympics, with the Olympic yeah. torch. And then what it is is that the, the, the picture of her father, was very, uh, who was previously abusive, has effectively come back to life and is this, this haunting presence through the course of the story. And... Um, through through the mother finally connecting back to her daughter again, that defeats that, and then everything's fine. Yeah, job done. <laughs> yeah, job done. Good job. Um, <laughs> so the pre-title scene tells us perhaps way too much. We see who's being taken. Mm-hmm. We see how they're being taken. And then we'll see who's taking them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, I think this is one of the problems that I have. I think one of the problems of Fear Her is the structure of it. Um, I think it's very poorly structured. And I think that's one of the things. So you have this establishing thing where, which you just said, we know that kids are going missing. We know how they're going missing and who's doing it. So there's no mystery. So then the Doctor and Rose arrive and they they quickly realise that something's up. Um, Or rather, Rose does. Because I tell you, another problem I have with the story is the Doctor himself. Uh, he is—he's mm-hmm. incredibly irritating. He talks nine to the dozen, and he talks and he talks and he talks, and it seems to be Rose who's who's cotton on to stuff. And it, did you find the Doctor really irritating in this story to the point where 
you wanted to, you know, just repeatedly punch him in the face and then kick the crap out of him until he regenerated into Matt Smith. I don't quite, I didn't quite get that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sure as hell did when I watched it. But anyway, that's just me. Um, so anyway, going back to the, the structure point. So they're investigating this. And by the time they know which house to call on, 15 or 16 minutes has passed. So a full quarter of the episode has gone before really the Doctor and Rose get into the story. Mm. Um, so, you know, that that's poorly structured, I think. Yeah, there's not many locations in this story. And <clears throat> the nip, nip after the TARDIS twice. <clears throat> oh, the old woman in the story, she can sense what's going on, just like the Doctor does. Does this mean she's most likely a Time Lord? No, I just think it's that, that normal trope of uh, she. You know, it's it's the older generation; they can sense <laughs> things, um, and uh, and because this episode's written, uh, sorry, is is directed by Euros uh, Lin, who's a very good uh, director. Uh, he direct has directed uh, numerous uh, Doctor Who episodes and a whole load of um, other television programs including Sherlock and an episode of Black Mirror and, you know, loads of other stuff. And usually when Lynn has, uh, has directed an episode, uh, he, he's usually done a very, very good job. I think this is probably the one thing... I think this is probably the one exception. I don't think it's directed particularly well. Um, and, and some of the casting choices... Now, like, for example, that old woman... Mm-hmm. Uh, the actress that they've got to play her, I don't think um, she does an awful job, but I just feel that the direction really lets it down. It doesn't seem, mm-hmm. it doesn't gel. <clears throat> and given that the fact that you know uh, children have been kidnapped, no one seems to be that massively worried. Oh, this is insane! You, can you imagine the amount of coverage this would have? That the, the eyes of the nation, well, the eyes of the world, would be on this street. Houses would be getting searched. The parents would probably be a bit upset or grieving or distraught. Yeah, but no one seems to give a toss. What's... They just get on. They get on with their lives. Yeah. And even when the kids are returned, mm-hmm. they're just like, "Oh, yeah, you're back." <laughs> and you know what I mean? Yeah. It makes no sense. But that's that's the other thing as well because so there's a complete disconnect between what the what the story involves which is the kidnapping of children and the mass kidnapping of basically the um the entire olympic stadium mm. you know all these people have gone missing and yet no one seems to be the news coverage doesn't really convey the panic and nothing seems to stop the whole olympic stadium everyone there has vanished and yet there doesn't seem to be any mass panic uh, the the running of the Olympic torch is still taking place. Yeah. It's really weird. And in fact, because that's the other thing as well, I think that the focus on the 2012 Olympics is um, it's one thing that ruins the story. I don't, th- I don't think it's really satisfyingly linked to the main narrative. And as I said, we have the disappearance of the people in the stadium, but it could have happened to any large gathering of people. <clears throat> there, isn't, there isn't really any... Uh, particular reason why it had to be why the story had to be set in 2012 and why you know and for the event to be the olympics and the real issue through this olympic torch as a beacon of hope which the way that conveys made me want to vomit 
<laughs> so it's really vomit inducing. This means that the Olympic dream is dead. There's a mystery man, he's picked up the flame. We, we've no idea who he is. Um, he's carrying the flame, yes, he's carrying the flame, and, and no one wants to stop him. And um, it's more than a flame now, Bob, it's more than heat and light, it's hope and it's courage and it's love. And as I said, it's difficult to imagine how such a large disappearance could unfold in front of the entire world without sparking mass hysteria. It's crazy. So it feels deeply implausible that the torchbearer would could be continue running towards an empty stadium. <laughs> or that the um or that the public would still sort of like get in the streets irrespective of the power of the Olympic sport and um Yeah, it's it's really weird. I feel like they've latched onto the Olympics just for the sake of it. Yeah. And they could have done it in a better way mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. And now London 2012's came and gone, and we know it didn't happen that way. <laughs> Thank goodness. So it's official. Fear her didn't happen. <laughs> and another thing on the news, you've got the, the that Welsh news presenter. Hugh Edwards. <laughs> he's, say, he's saying, the torch... Sorry, is this a real person? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Hugh Edwards, the, an actual... The, the real... Yeah, the, anyway, yeah, carry on. Okay. He says, The torchbearer does seem to be in a spot of trouble. We did see a flash of lightning earlier, which did seem to strike him. Uh, maybe he's injured. <laughs> but that's the thing as well. So, he, uh, he's he's running, and he just collapses. No one seems... Again, no one seems to give a toss. He's just collapsed, and then the doctor picks up the torch. Yeah. And then but as, as the guy collapses, the news presenter just says, um... This means the Olympic dream is dead. <laughs> yeah. And then the doctor picks up um picks up the torch mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh, there's hope again. <laughs> you know, it's, Olympics is back on. Yeah, so, yeah, but what about the what about the other bloke? What about is is, is he alright? Oh no, he's dead. Oh, okay. But it doesn't matter. Um it's... I love how the casually thought he was struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just takes it in his stride. <laughs> Do you th- are, there, are there any things that you actually like uh, about fear? Hmm. <laughs> it's hard to say. I don't agree with its interpretation of parenthood. Parenting. I don't know what. I don't know how to put it into words. Yeah, the way parents are depicted here, it just doesn't. It doesn't make sense to me. I think um, I think the actress who plays the mother does a good job. I think she yeah. plays the part quite well, and I think the and I think that the premise is a very good one. You know how a child being able to trap others just by drawing them, and have mm-hmm. an evil drawing of a, a previous of an abusive father. And I think that's a really scary idea. But on paper, uh, it sounds like a great idea. <laughs> it, yeah, it does. And but as I understand it, that that wasn't the idea of the writer. That was the idea of Russell T. Davis to the writer. Mm-hmm. So if, if that's the case, because I read that in a couple of places, that's interesting. Um, but that doesn't excuse the reason why, in my view, it was it was quite poorly written. Um, and as I said before, there seems to be a massive emotional disconnect between people's reactions to what is actually taking place. But yeah, I think the, the the idea is a decent one. It's just I think it's very poorly executed, and I like the scene with the jam or the marmalade or whatever it is. Yes, that is. 
actually one of my favourite moments. I wrote that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the scene with the jam. <laughs> yeah, the scene, with, the scene with the jam. Oh yeah, and I do like um, how Rose is produced, sort of like the one, in, the one in charge, and sort of like leading the investigation. I like that. Yeah. So, I think there's 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 good ideas, that... but. Hmm. Sorry, what were you gonna say? Sorry, I was just talking over you. Just saying, I think the rose we have in this episode is a lot closer to the rose we have in Turn Left. She's a lot more confident and on the Doctor's level, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true, yeah. Yeah. It's a shame that this is her last ever Monster of the Week standalone story before she goes. Mm-hmm. But you uh, you did re- you actually reminded me, because I hadn't seen it until now, but you reminded me of, I mean, I was aware of it, I just hadn't watched it, which was a, a mini-episode called Good as Gold. Back in 2012, there was a competition with Blue Peter, which is the longest-running children's television program in the world, I think, right. which has been go- which has been going since the 50s. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's still still going today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's had a long history of showcasing Doctor Who elements in the show, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it has. Um, and running the occasional competition in recent years. Um, Design an Alien, which became the Absorbaloth in Love and Monsters. Mm-hmm. Design a TARDIS console became the junk console from the Doctor's Wife. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. And a few other things like Madame Vastra's Sonic earring or something. Um, but in this instance, it was the children of Ashdeen School who'd written a story mm-hmm. um, as part of a competition. And yeah, they wrote the story. They... They won Blue Peter and they presented it, mm-hmm. and it and it was shown there, and it was a story called Good as Gold with Matt Smith and Karen Gillan. Yep, that's right, and it's only three minutes long, and it's tremendous fun. Um, the reason why you mentioned it is because that story is is again set in the twenty twelve uh, London Olympics. Um, yes. So uh, the TARDIS arrives, uh, lands in the arena, and just as the games have started and one of the uh, the runners of the, of the torch runs into the TARDIS and it turns out he was being chased by a, a weeping angel. Yeah. Uh, they quickly deal with that. He, uh, the, the torch bearer thanks the Doctor then then runs off to, to light the... Um... Yeah, he's, the, he's actually the final torch bearer. Yeah. And, uh, and then it ends on a sort of cliffhanger because they defeated the weeping angel by effectively um, sort of like blowing it to smithereens but then it reforms back in the TARDIS and then the episode ends that way. And it's only three minutes long, and the children of Ashdeen School manage within those three minutes to produce something that's actually, you know, yeah, it's it's lightweight, it, you know, but it's tremendous fun to watch. And those three minutes, I mean, you probably know what what's coming, <laughs> are far better than the entire episode of Fear Her. And I, I'm not being funny when I say that. I generally mean that. I think Good as Gold is good. It's good. Yes, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, best moment in that? Would you say that was the Doctor's hair? <laughs> the Doctor's hair. Oh, I liked how yeah. it began as well, where um, a- uh, Amy's reading the definition of, of what it means to be a traveller. You basically, or, or an adventurer. You basically have to go to adventure at least once a week, <laughs> which I thought was a sort of like a nice. Uh, and like sure enough, he, he he sets the console to um, he sets the TARDIS to adventure mode. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, so it's it's, uh, it's tremendous fun. I think I think it's well written, and it basically writes fear her out of the canon. Yes, basically because the way the Olympics is presented in this story, we have the appropriate torch. Mm-hmm. It contradicts fear her because we have the, the final torch bearer. Yeah. Um. So that pretty much says it all. Do we say like fear has been erased from the timeline? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Fear her is no longer canon. Yeah. Would rather say that than say good as gold is not canon. Yeah, good as gold the... Good as Gold was canon. Yeah, well all shorts are canon, aren't they? Well, apart from the Tardisodes, but yeah. Apart from the Tardisodes, yeah. <laughs> Forget about those. <laughs> also going back to that old woman in Fear Her. <laughs> yeah. Um we're treated to something we haven't seen since the nineteen ninety three Doctor Who EastEnders crossover. <laughs> something something us fans called the Pat Butcher Orbit. <laughs> which is the technique where the camera circulates around the actor, making the viewer feel disoriented and uneasy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. I didn't mention that but when I was watching it again and they were doing that that wizard thing, it did it did make me um it did remind me of that. But once again, <laughs> that's the thing. Dimensions in time is better than fear her. <laughs> That's how bad fear her is. <laughs> and once again, it's been referenced to Dimensions in Time. Because <laughs> we've also noticed um, a reference in Day of the Doctor. <laughs> oh, yes, we did. <laughs> Rose figures out what she needs. Um, she needs to put the mini mini spaceship in the Olympic torch. <laughs> and that's when we get the lightning strike. Yeah. And the guy gets a bit of a fright. Then collapses and gets yeah, and promptly the, ignored. And then, thank God, the alien goes. <laughs> yeah. And the story gets wrapped up. Mm-hmm. All the kids are returned. The parents aren't very emotional, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, the old lady thanks Rose. Um, are you sure she's not a time lord, Liam? Does she not then use her time rings to disappear? <laughs> No, we've got to be careful, because if we suggest uh, that she is, then we'll have another big finish uh, spin-off to deal with. A whole box set. A whole box four, set. Four seasons. Four seasons. And then, just as you think they're going to wrap up, then they'll have the War Old Woman box set. <laughs> the War Old Woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who played her in the Time War? don't know, they could get anyone, you know, because, you know, <laughs> she, she dies and regenerates yeah. into... Another old woman. <laughs> or, it's a bit of a joke, she's still referred to as the old woman, but played by a younger person. Ah. <laughs> the young old woman. So yeah, this episode was full of theories, fun bits, bad bits. Um, Do we give it a rating out of ten? Have you got a figure in mind? No. <laughs> it's hard. I, I've got nothing to compare it to. Usually every week we think, oh, something out of ten... I'll compare it to what we've done before, but... Three? Oh, so I've actually just had a tweet. I've just got a tweet from the Theta Sigma podcast mm-hmm. replying to a tweet I put out about Fear Me, Fear Her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. And he says, This is one of the most underrated eps of season two. It's br- it brilliantly deals with youth angst brought about by loneliness. Look past the surface and you'll find a story that many of today's young people could benefit from. Superbly tackled with the casts on great form. Well, let's take that as read 
And uh, it's quite nice that there's someone else out there that has actually quite a positive view on the episode. Um, that It's actually something about the story that I was looking at with interest. But the problem with me was I could not relate to these characters. I, I felt, um, especially the way the parents were behaving, um, a bit unbelievable. Yeah, I think I think this is a story that does deserve its poor reputation. Mm-hmm. There's something we haven't mentioned: the scribble creature. Yeah, um, I quite like that. Uh, Not the most famous of Doctor Who villains, <laughs> I have to admit. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't <laughs> think why. But didn't get its own action figure. <laughs> no, 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 it didn't. Um, but you know, I, I quite like that. The fact, I mean, it makes sense within the context of the story. And I, and I like that bit when they go back to the TARDIS to analyse it and the Doctor realises it's graphite and you've got that thing where he, he rubs it out with a with a rubber. Um, yeah. I bet there's a few people out there thinking, shouldn't it be made of lead? <laughs> <laughs> no, because this story's set in 2012. But yeah. <laughs> Just a massive misconception <laughs> about pencils, still. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we when we were at school, we thought that you know it was it was lead and pencils. I think it was Mrs. It, Smith who told us that it was graphite, and we were like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, everyone would be like, "Look, I'm licking lead. <laughs> 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 You're gonna die." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's our thoughts on on Fear Her. We're uh, we're massive fans of it, uh, and as you can tell by our glowing recommendation of it. Um, have you thought of a ranking yet? No. <laughs> I, I wasn't stalling, just so I could think of one. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. I was just... Uh, I don't know. I'll pro- yeah, I'll probably give it a three. Uh, decent idea. You attempted to make something. It's there, but let's move on. Um, well, that's it for this uh, minisode. Next week, we'll be t- returning to the, the Mainland uh, podcast, where we'll be looking at the next big Finnish order adventure, The Marion Conspiracy. Yep, which is a sixth Doctor story. On that note, goodbye. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. From today, dialing 999 won't get you the emergency services. And that's not the only thing that's changing. Nicer ambulances, faster response times, and better-looking drivers mean they're not just the emergency services, they're your emergency services. So, remember the new number. Well, that's easy to remember. 0118 9119 